Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. So no P-127 camp out for you this weekend, huh? I'm glad you're here. We've got about uh, 80 or 90 that are up north enjoying the cool weather, and you're here roasting. Okay, maybe we're not roasting yet. How many have turned on their air already this weekend? Okay. How many are going to wait until it turns about 115 before you turn the air on? You cheapskates, you. Yeah, how many love the heat? I do too. It's great. It's getting, getting nice out. It's getting warmer. But good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend a, quite a long time in this letter from the Apostle Peter, kind of working through it slowly. A lot of great stuff in this letter. And uh, so that's where we are. CrossFit is our current teaching series. This whole uh, series can be summarized, this whole letter can be summarized with the, uh, the subtitle, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World, or Finding Wholeness Through a Broken World, Through a Broken World, can also be that titled. Uh, and our title for this weekend's message is Fiery Trials Number 2. So let me kind of bring you up to speed where we've been thus far. This is our third week into this. And as we've been talking about uh, this idea of uh, wholeness, we're using that word synonymously with holiness. So when I say wholeness, I'm talking holiness. And holiness or wholeness and hardship, so wholeness and hardship are inextricably connected. That's the idea of this letter. So think about that just for a moment. So you need wholeness to get through hardship but uh, hardship has a way of developing wholeness and holiness within us. That's the idea. Now, something we said last week, let me remind you of it. Um, it's not what happens to you in life. Now, listen to me. If you can get a hold of this truth, it will really change your life and how you respond to the events of your life. It is not what happens to you, but what happens in you that matters most. I'm not minimizing what has happened to you, but I'm just saying that it's not what has happened to you, the events of your life, that has made you feel and behave the way you feel and behave about life and about all that's gone on in your life. It's your evaluation about what has happened to you that determines how you're going to feel and behave in response. It is not what has happened to you, but what has happened in you that matters most and what's happened in you, we've defined this as a worldview. And so it is, it is your biblical worldview. Everybody has a worldview. And as a believer, you need to have a biblical worldview, though most believers in America do not have a biblical worldview. My job is to help you to have a biblical worldview. So it is your biblical worldview or lack thereof that can make you or break you in fiery trials. And what is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is a belief system, a way of thinking about how the world works consistent with the Bible. And Peter is giving us, he's helping us with this, with this biblical worldview because you guys know this. Two people can go through identical fiery trials and one becomes bitter and the other better. It's not a cliche, that's, that's the truth. And so I, I challenged you last week, let me challenge you again. You can't go very far in life without taking some major hits. I know you've taken some hits. But let me ask you this. Are you becoming bitter? Are you becoming better? And what I mean by better, we'll, we'll look at that, but, but really, is your heart getting bigger for God and bigger for the people that are within your circle of touch, within your circle of influence? Are you becoming bitter? You're on one of those two trajectories. And by the way, you'd probably be best to ask those that are closest to you if they feel safe telling you. Because oftentimes we, I mean, bitter people don't even create a safe environment for people to let them know that they're bitter. And so uh, are you a safe person where someone can say, hey, you know what, it sounds like you're really bitter and you haven't really gotten over that uh, past hurt. You're still carrying that with you and it, and it affects our relationship and a lot of other relationships. And so... First Peter gives us the resources we need so that we can get better rather than bitter. And uh, we need to be constantly looking at the trajectory of our own lives. 
So here's a big question. How does the gospel give us joy in the face of suffering and sorrow? That almost sounds like it's a contradiction. Joy in the face of suffering and sorrow? No, it's not a contradiction. It's a paradox. And oh my goodness, it's a supernatural kind of a paradox that happens within us that even in the midst of suffering and sorrow, we can have joy. It could be that you have a real poor understanding of what joy is or a poor definition of joy. And we'll get to that in just a moment. I like what Tim Keller says. He wrote one, one of the better books, I think, that are out there on pain and suffering. Uh, Timothy Keller, in fact, I've got it right here. It's Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. This is what he says. He says, the gospel doesn't promise you better life circumstances, but a better life. So I'm convinced that you can actually have a better life finding wholeness through, not just in, in spite of, but actually through the brokenness that we have in this world, actually find wholeness and a greater uh, capacity to experience God in that. So that's where we're headed. You can see that we're going to work through this. Um, the key verse that we, we used is the hinge of this teaching last week, uh, part of Fiery Trials 1, is verse 6, where it says, in this you rejoice. In what? So we're now going to look at the what. In this you rejoice. Here's the resources that we have, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And so we're going to look at that. And so you can see on your notes, so these are the doctrinal truths, the biblical worldview that must go from our head to our heart through spiritual disciplines to fireproof our, our lives. So I'm glad you're here. We're going to study. We've got a great study here this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our text and then unpack our notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We, we love encountering you and knowing you and walking with you even though, Father God, your thoughts and ways can be, be as unclear to us as, as a parent's are to an infant, especially in the face of, of suffering and sorrow, but, but the sacrificial love of your Son, our Savior, on the cross proves your outrageous love for us, and his resurrection promises us a better future. So we pray this morning that you would teach us how the gospel gives us joy in the face of suffering and sorrow. May these truths that we study from your holy word go from our head to our hearts, giving us a fiery, trials-proof life so that you are more and more glorified in us as we are more and more satisfied in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So take a look at this. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to kind of walk through the text, and I'll comment uh, as brief as I can. I mean, this is... This is an awesome text. I've, I've been just uh, enjoying it and eating from it. I mean, this is a feast. I've been meditating and reflecting and memorizing this text. And I really kind of like, we've slowed the pace down quite a bit. Typically, we'll go a chapter, maybe a week or so, but we've slowed the pace down quite a bit through this series. And oh my goodness, I am enjoying it. So hopefully, it's, uh, you're getting as much enjoyment as, as I. But let's walk through this. And you'll see that he mentions the word salvation. He's talking about our salvation. By the way, salvation equals celebration. The more you understand the salvation that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you're going to go through the ceiling with celebration. It's pretty amazing, and this is how he starts. He starts really with a doxology. He says in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation mark, and then he begins to give us what we can rejoice in even in the midst of, of suffering. By the way, these folks that he's writing to are going through suffering probably about 10 times worse than what we'll ever experience. And, uh, and so it just makes sense that if, if he's giving them resources to help them, it'll certainly help us. And so he says, according to his great mercy, that's the motivation for this. Mercy has that idea of the, the recipient of mercy is that person is helpless and hopeless. And so he sees our predicament and where we are, and he has mercy on us. This is God, and he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Now, he just, he's talking about what he just laid out for us. We're going to go through a list, and then he's going to continue to kind of work through this list, and we're going to go over this list of what we can rejoice in that gives us the resources to face 
suffering and sorrow in this life. So in this you rejoice. Now check this out. This is really, this is rich stuff. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, so our suffering is not going to last forever. Thank God for that. I mean, that's what I think. For a little while, if necessary. So our suffering is not going to last for all eternity if we are in Christ. And in fact, he even says that there's, there's meaning behind our misery, if necessary. He's telling us that there's, there's a purpose behind our pain. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So you see the combination? So rejoice and grieved are happening, happening simultaneously. And you might think, wow, that's crazy. How does that happen? It's probably because you have a wrong definition of what uh, joy is. So this is what I want you to do. Turn the people next to you and see if they can give you a good definition of joy. And one of the ways to understand what joy is, to understand what the opposite of, of joy is. So what's joy? What's the opposite of joy? See if they know what that is real quick before we go on. Because you've got you to know what the definition is real quick. Do that. Okay, you guys are awfully quiet out there. You guys, did, I didn't stump you, did I? I mean, this is the second service. You guys should be more awake. Okay, no? Hey, if I see you dozing off, I'm going to come out there. Okay? So what do you guys, what do you, how many think that the opposite of joy is sadness? Show of hands, show of hands. Okay, okay, okay. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Would you stand up and bow? Okay, so see, some of you, that's the reason why you guys don't ever, some of you don't ever raise your hand because you know I'm going to try, try to hammer you over that. No, actually, it's not, because, because what we've got, we've got grieving, we've got sadness with that joy happening at the same time, so it couldn't be the opposite. Because in that text, it's telling us, well, that this rejoicing must be something different. Here's what joy is. The opposite of, of joy is hopelessness. Okay, so you can be grieving and still have joy in the midst of that. That's what gives us the, what we need. And, uh, and so here's what joy is. Joy is a, is a buoyancy. It's a buoyancy in our life. How many would say and would agree with me that life can push you down and almost feel like you're drowning in life? Show of hands. Yeah. And yet there's something about joy and about what we rejoice in. There's this buoyancy that brings you back up to the surface and it's based on the pleasures we find in the eternal privileges of the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, our, our joy is not in creation or in the temporal or in the finite. It's in the creator. It's in the infinite. You know, it's, it's in the eternal. We have... We have resources there. And that's what he's saying. He's trying to bring this back to their attention. Come on, think about this. I'm going to go through this list. And so he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Check this out, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, trials are going to test your faith. Oh, yeah, you believe in God? You have a relationship with him? Well, the true test of that is going to be when bad times, harsh, hard times, hardship. I mean, anybody can believe in God when everything is going well. What about the hard times? You're going to have hard times, but the only thing that's going to get you through that hard times is that you really have a relationship with God. Do you really have a relationship with God? By the way, next week you need to come back because we're going to talk about that. I'm going to obviously talk about it here, but even more so, we're going to talk about true Christianity. A lot of people think that they have a relationship with God until hard times hit, and they don't have that capacity to get through those difficult times. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, oh, I love this, this is good, more precious than gold. You know how much gold is going for nowadays? Oh, my goodness. How many like to have a couple big chunks of gold in their closet? Let me ask you this. Anybody here have a couple chunks of gold in their closet? <laughs> Go ahead and raise your hand. You do? Outstanding. Let's meet after the service. Where do you live? No, I'm kidding. You know what he's saying here? More precious than gold. 
if you have a real relationship with God, if you're walking with him, if you know him, if you understand all the resources that he has provided for you in, in knowing him, that's better than gold, pure gold. And, uh, and then he goes on. He says, um, even this pure gold, gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stop there just for a minute because oh, this is good. This is good stuff. And I used to think, okay, yeah, okay, I'll take my last breath on earth, first breath in heaven, and then I'll be giving praise, glory, and honor to Jesus. No, that's not what it says. All the, commentar- uh, all the commentaries and theologians say, no, 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 no. That's not us giving praise, glory, and honor to him. That's him giving praise, glory, and honor to us. Do you hear what's happening here? So we go through really hard times in this life and it begins to test our faith. We dig much deeper and we have this level of intimacy and maturity unlike ever before. And then eventually, yeah, you will take your last breath on earth and if you're a believer, you'll take your first breath in heaven. And when you come into heaven, you will have the one waiting for you who would rather die than to live all eternity without you. And he will go, yes, yes, awesome. Praise, glory, and honor to you. And in those moments... All of the trials, all the pain, all the problems will dissipate as he wipes away the tears from our eyes. And however long you might have gone through suffering, even if it had been for 70 or 80 years, it will be nothing compared to receiving the praise, glory, and honor that he gives to us. That is amazing. That is awesome. Imagine the one who died for you And as you come into heaven, he welcomes you, giving you praise, glory, and honor. That thought alone will give you the resources to to endure the difficulties for him. And that's what he's saying here. Okay, so this has been really, this is savory. This is like your best, you know, what's your favorite pizza or maybe your hamburger place or we're too close to, to lunch here to be saying all these things, I know. But, uh, but uh, I mean, your favorite steak. We just had a just unbelievable meal. Now we're gonna have dessert. Look at verse eight. We're gonna spend all week just on verse eight. So we're just gonna eat dessert next week, okay? But look at this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. There's the joy, buoyancy. Joy, pleasure found in the eternal privileges we have through Jesus Christ that is inexpressible. You can't even put words to it and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word to us this morning. Wow. This is good stuff, okay. I'll, I'll hold it down a little bit, I know. I've had, I've had about six shots here this morning, but this, it's not the coffee, okay? It's the text. It's just, it's totally amazing. So here we go. Let's work through this. So doctrinal truths, biblical worldview, then must go from our head to our heart through spiritual disciplines to fireproof our life. So some of this stuff you're gonna know, you're gonna be familiar with. But it doesn't matter whether you know it here. It's gotta be down deep into your heart. So here's the first one, we are born again. I'll spend a little bit more time on the first few and then we'll kind of pick up the pace as we work through it. So you'll notice that he says that we have been by his great mercy, according to his great mercy, so it gives us the motivation. And as I stated, mercy has a lot to do with the recipient of that uh, mercy. It is a word that makes reference to a person's condition that we are miserable and pitiful. We are helpless and uh, hopeless And Jesus saw that, the Father saw that, developed a plan to rescue us through his Son. The Holy Spirit applies that to our lives. I was thinking about this uh, idea of mercy, and it came to mind this last week that there was a couple people in our fellowship that have, um, that had loved ones that were gonna die if something didn't happen, if someone didn't step up and give their loved one a, a kidney. And so there's a guy by the name of Gary that attends here Gary's sitting right back there, and uh, Jessica was sitting right up here this morning, and Jessica gave a kidney to her mom who was going to die, and Gary gave one uh, to his son. They were helpless and hopeless. That's your spiritual condition before Jesus, and God saw that and said, you know what, I love them, and in his mercy and in his grace, he made us 
alive. And in fact, listen to this. Uh, it says in, uh, in fact, we're going to spend a whole weekend just on being born again and what that means but to here in a, uh, about a month down the road. But Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So you're dead. Dead to God. No relationship with God. You were hell bound. Object of God's wrath. And, uh, and it says, but but God, being rich in mercy, there's that word, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and says, dead, you can't do anything. You can't do anything about that. He made us alive together with Christ. I mean, just reading those words, just, oh, my goodness. We've been made, made alive. Now, this being born again, it can happen in a, in a very immediate, dramatic way, and some of you know when you've been born again. You can go back on a date when you confessed Christ. There was something that happened in your life, very similar to the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. But others of us, it was more gradual and subtle. Was, you kind of know a general season, but you don't know the specific date, but you know that you've been born again. And you're more like the Apostle Peter. I love what uh, Tullian Chavichian says, as Billy Graham's grandson says about being born again. He says, you begin, this is what happens. You begin to love the things God loves and hate the things God hates. You begin to run away from the things you ran toward and run toward the things you once ran from. Another word for this being born again is regeneration. The word regeneration, it means a new genesis, a new origin, a new beginning. This is not turning over a new leaf. It's a brand new life. You have never been more alive. You begin to realize, wow, I haven't really been living. I have not been living. I've never been more alive now. Now that I have this relationship with God. And uh, I mean, there's just... Everything becomes more alive to you. I mean, creation, the created things, as the Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And so in creation, I mean, when you, when you see a sunset or a sunrise, wow! There's a different kind of a wow because you're now alive to the maker of that sunset or sunrise or a brand new baby, wow! Or... Kentucky Derby, wow! Anybody watch that? That was pretty interesting. Nobody really into that, but it's, it was fascinating. Watching those horses, a strong, unbelievable. My wife and I went uh, from time to time. Our Sabbath is on Friday, and so we'll go, we'll check out some of the local coffee shops here in town. And we went to a local coffee shop here off of 3rd Street in, um, in Roosevelt, it was called the Songbird, Bird Song, Songbird uh, Coffee Shop, and, and we had, uh, we sat there, had our little devotional books out, and, and uh, ate a blueberry a scone and chased it with a latte that was out of this world. Oh my goodness, that latte, it had this, uh, it, it, this is how you do lattes, I mean, it's got to have a little design on the top of it. You guys know what I'm talking about there? It's got that design. It's just rich cream, and when you drink it, it's just like, mmm, that's good stuff. You're chasing that uh, blueberry scone. And my wife and I are having a spiritual experience right there, <laughs> just eating our blueberry muffin and, uh, or scone and chasing it with that uh, latte. And l listen, I I'm not saying that uh, unbelievers can't, I mean, they can certainly enjoy blueberry muffins and lattes, but not to the degree that a believer can enjoy a blueberry scone and latte, because we know where this blueberry scone and latte ultimately comes from. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, first chapter of James, and so we know that this is a gift from God and a pointer back to God, and so our joy does not terminate somewhere in creation through a created thing, but it rolls on up to the creator, and so even in creation, there's an experience of of his presence. I mean, I look at sunrises and sunsets totally different because I know who, who did that. I have a relationship with him. And not only that, not just through creation, but there's a sense of, there's this conscience that we now have because we've been made alive, we're born again. And so when I say really stupid stuff, which I can regularly, the Holy Spirit, don't be shaking your head like, yes, you can. That's kind of like what, like what my wife would be saying, yeah, yeah. 
the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, you know, you shouldn't have said that. That was really stupid. You need to go apologize and you need to kind of make that right. Okay. Okay. And so, or there are times that he reminds me, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. And there are times I'm just overwhelmed with his presence. That's it, as he's working through, through my conscience. And then there are times when I read his word and I'll read and read and read and I go, what is this about? What is and all of a sudden, it's like he speaks right to me from a verse and he knows exactly where I am and that's exactly what I needed for today. And he speaks to me. And then when I begin to reflect more and more on the sacrificial love of my Savior, oh my goodness, that he would come from heaven to earth to reveal the Father and live the life I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. Oh, my heart is smitten. Of course, of course I want to follow you. Of course I want you in, in my life. Yes, yeah, see, that's, that's being born again. That's being born again. You, you're just, you have never been more alive. And that's what he's talking about here. I mean, you can see that, why that would be a, a phenomenal resource as you work through uh, suffering and sorrow. And it's as if the truth of Christ has entered your head intellectually, it ignites your heart emotionally, and it overflows through your hands volitionally. Now, some of you are saying, well, wow, you know, after you went through that whole kind of description, I'm not even close to that. I'm not really even sure if I'm born again. Well, you know, maybe you're not, and maybe you are, but maybe you're born again, but it's a whole lot like Lazarus. Remember the story of Lazarus, 11th chapter of John, when Jesus called him forth? By the way, that's a great picture of becoming born again. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. Remember how Lazarus came out? Kind of like a mummy. Seriously, read the story. Because then Jesus says, hey, uh, take his, uh, what was wrapped around him? Yeah, grave clothes. He had grave clothes on. Maybe, just maybe, you're alive, but you have too many grave clothes still wrapped around you. And you are in desperate need of maybe hanging out with us a little bit more regularly and getting plugged into a small group, a group of people that will help to remove the grave clothes from you so you can see Jesus more clearly. Make sense? See, that's part of that. That's part of that being born again. And then, and then we've been born again to what? To we have a living, we have a living hope. I, I struggle with that for a while. I go, living hope as opposed to dead hope? What? What does that mean? And actually, the more I begin to understand that and study that, and that's what he says in verse 3, it's, it's eternal and heavenly as opposed to temporal and earthly. By the way, everybody, you, you can't survive without having a hope. But if you build your hope on something that's temporal, it's just a matter of time. If your whole life is based on something that's temporal, that's earthly, it's a matter of time. You're going to be hopeless. That hope is going to be taken away from you. Just a matter of time. But what he's trying to get them to do is don't build your hope. You need a hope that goes beyond, that transcends the earthly and the temporal, that goes into the eternal. That's what that living hope is. Romans 8, 28 through 30 kind of help us with that a little bit. Let me read it. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So here's the first thing with this living hope. By the way, the living hope is not wishful thinking. We kind of use the word kind of, oh, I hope so, kind of wishful thinking, but it's actually confident, joyful expectation. It's going to happen. I'm just waiting for it to happen. And, and what it means based on this verse here is that my bad things will work out for my good. And whatever you're going through, God's going to use that to work in your life. He's working. He's working all things. He's working all things for your good and ultimately his glory. And then here's the next thing, verse 29. He says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there he's really talking about sanctification, but he's talking about this work that happens in our lives. We're foreknown, so since the beginning of time, he's placed his love upon us and predestined and he's, he's working in our lives. He's placed his Holy Spirit within us. And so not only are my bad things working out for my good, but my truly good things can never be taken from me. Yes, I could lose my home and my car, and eventually you're going to lose a family member. It's just a matter of time. But there's something that we can have that we will never lose, and that's his work in our lives. See, we have... We have the wealth of his presence, never to leave us or forsake us. We have the comfort of his love. We have the strength of his power. We have the acclaim of being called his children. That's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on and he talks about uh, this, the last part of the verse 30 of Romans 8, 28 through 30. It says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called. 
whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I mean, he's saying it almost like it's, it's a done deal. This is where you're headed. You take your last breath on earth, take your first breath in heaven. Praise, glory, and honor awaits you because you hung with Jesus. You walked with him. You endured the trials. You let those trials bring you closer to him and make you stronger in him. And that's what he's saying that we will experience. What's the worst that could happen to you? Die? No, that's the best. That's the best. Because when you die in Christ, you will wake up in the arms of the one, as I've said, the one who would rather die than to live all eternity without you, giving you praise, glory, and honor. And in that moment of time, you will realize, yes, those were light and momentary in light of what I have now in him for all eternity. And I'll guarantee you a lot of the things that we kind of are troubled over now, just think, 20,000 years from now, it won't be that big of a deal, okay? Seriously. A lot of that stuff, you're just going to go, so we don't oftentimes look at things in light of eternity. We need to have that bigger picture of eternity. And that's, that's all that living, that living hope, living hope in um, Here's, a, here's another way that I've used in the past. So you, you get a couple people, and let's just say maybe you, you get a job and they hire you, and it's just a, it's a really a mundane job. It's in this closed warehouse building, no windows, and they have you put this little gadget on this widget, and you do that seven, uh, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. But, but they come to the person that they hired along with you, and they say to, to them, apart from you, they say, at the end of a, a year, we're going to give you $12,000. But then they take you back and they get negotiate, and they said, when we get finished with this year, we're going to give you $12 million. What do you think the attitude would be between you and that other person? Yours would be like, yeah, I can do this, $12 million. And I'll bet the other person would say, uh, I can't do this. Are you kidding? This isn't worth it. See, because, because you, have a, you have a living hope. Of course, I'm using you know, a sense of this money and what you're going to receive at the end. But that's even more so what we have. That's that living hope. And then we have a permanent inheritance. So we've got, we are born again. We have a living hope. We have a permanent inheritance. And he says that in verse 4. He says, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Um, imagine getting a registered letter from a, from a law firm that you had, uh, they stayed on this uh, letter, this registered letter that you've had a lost, a long lost uncle that died and left you $30 million. You inherited it. That'd be something, wouldn't it? Pastor Ray, why are you talking about money this morning so much? Uh, just a good analogy. I, I heard that in 1990, Queen, the Queen of England was worth $5 billion dollars. I'll be her son. <laughs> Call me Prince Ray. <laughs> see, see, in inheritance, if I was her son, then I would receive that inheritance. And it tells us in Romans 8, 16 through 17, I don't think that we really understand our inheritance. It says that his, his holy, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, we were once objects of God's wrath, enemies of God, didn't want to have anything to do with God, and he made us his children, his dearly beloved children, heirs of God, inheritance, and co-heirs of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. How much does the Father love the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? He loves him a lot. Would you guys agree with that? That's how much he loves you. How much does the Father enjoy the Son? Like he enjoys him a lot? That's how much he enjoys you. You see, at Jesus' baptism, when he went down in the water, came up, and the dove came down, and you heard this voice from heaven. Remember what the voice said? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Those are for us. Those words are for you. Because he took your sin debt on the cross so that you are a co-heir with Jesus. That is amazing in itself. I mean, think about the implications of that. Okay, big deal. Co-worker snubbed you. 
Who cares what the peasants say when you have the king of the universe loves you and thinks the world of you? Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So we've got to learn to kind of live in the reality of that. And uh, as we kind of grapple with the issues of life, it shows you, you know, we're, we're depraved. We're sinners. We tend to cling to a lot of these earthly things when he's got something that's very, very eternal awaiting us. And uh, I, I, the best thing, though, here's the best thing. The best thing is not just the fact that you are my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. And by the way, that, those should be echoing in your heart and your mind regularly. You should wake up and say, God, make those real to me. Help me to see how much you adore me and you love me. Help me to see that. You should be praying that. But that's not even the best. The best part of this inheritance is that we get him. Never to leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us. I, I, I gave you some cross-references here. Uh, one of my favorite psalms is uh, Psalm 16. 16 he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion. So this idea of portion is inheritance or being an heir. And my cup, you hold my lot. Okay, just kind of hang in there with me on this next one. This is Psalm 73. So the psalmist in, in Psalm 73 turns on VH1, begins to envy the fabulous life of Beyonce and Jay-Z, Kim and Kanye, but then he comes to his senses. I mean, that's actually the, te- that's the context. He's looking around and goes, look at all these people. They don't give a rip about you, God, and they're, they're doing, they've got a lot of money. They're spending $100,000 on the champagne, just one bottle. What's up with that? And then all of a sudden he comes to his senses and this is what he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail me, but God is the strength of my heart. My portion forever, portion, inheritance. I'm an heir of God. I've got God in my life. Pretty amazing. So, born again, living hope, permanent inheritance, we have a divine, divine protection, divine protection. Do you notice in verses five and six, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation. So we're being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now notice this, verse six, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. So he's saying, it's not gonna last forever, if necessary, so he's saying there's, there's a purpose behind it, and that's, that's important. Fiery trials happen not simply because the world is a bad place, but because, because you need them. You need a f- fiery trials in your life. If necessary, that's what he's saying. I, I love what uh, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he says, everything is necessary that he sins, nothing can be necessary that he withholds. There's an order about your life. There's, there's a design. You might say, well, there doesn't seem to be an order or plan in my life. It seems pretty chaotic. Of course, because it's, it's not your order. It's his order. It's his design. And uh, that's why I love these three Hebrew dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's why we talked about them last week. These guys rock, man. These guys... I want to have their faith. I want to know the God that they know. They're going to face a fiery furnace. I'm thinking if I was to face a fiery furnace after I wet myself, <laughs> then I might start thinking I'm going to believe in God to help me get through this. But I mean, I mean these guys are like, God can. I mean, they're, they're responding to this, this king, this emperor. And they say, God can, God will, but if he doesn't, we're going to trust him anyway. That's solid faith. Why? Because this stuff's not just happening by chance. He's in control of our lives. And we trust his loving, wise power working in our lives. Do you hear that? They're, they're, they're trusting God with that. And, that, and I, love, I love that because they know that there's divine protection looking after them. Trusting God is resting in his loving, wise power to do what you would have asked for if you knew everything that God knows. Um, see, to these guys, God is not a means to an end. That's the reason why uh, 
He's not a means to an end. He is the end. And that's the reason why you don't see them bail when it gets tough. People that bail when it gets tough, God's a means to an end. I'm not getting what I want. Where are you now, God? He's a means to an end to you. He's not the end. In other words, they were saying, we serve and love God in and of himself, not for what we get from him. I love uh, another place where John Newton puts it this way. He says, if all things are in his hand and if the very hairs of our head are numbered, if every event, great and small, is under the direction of his providence and purpose, and if he has a wise, holy, and gracious end in view to which everything that happens is subordinate and subservient, then we have nothing to do but with patience and humility to follow as he leads and cheerfully to expect a happy issue. How happy are they who can resign all to him, see his hand in every dispensation, and believe that he chooses better for them than they possibly could for themselves. And now we've got the next two. I'm not going to spend much time on them because we're going to come back next week and talk about uh, true Christianity, but the next one is that we have a satisfying Savior. So we are born again, living hope, permanent inheritance, divine protection. Div- oh, I'm sorry, I skipped developing faith, didn't I? Did I skip that one? Okay, let's go over that real quick. Don't want to don't skip that one. So in Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, really it tells us about adversity is God's university. Hardship is God's gymnasium. And let me just read a couple verses here. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12, endure hardship as discipline. And then in verse 11 he says, for, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are being trained trained by it. The word trained is the, the Greek word is gymnazo, where we get our uh, word gymnasium. So he says, this is, hardship is God's gymnasium. Listen, you'll never know the quality of your faith except through suffering. Suffering does not put you in conflict with the people, things, and circumstances of your life as much as it puts you in conflict with your own sinful nature and your desperate need of a savior. Don't always look for some solution of circumstance enhancement. God's trying to increase your intimacy with him and your maturity through him. He's working in your life through your hardship. It's it's a gym. He's training you. You're missing out on some wonderful opportunities to get your joy, dig deeper for that joy that ultimately can only be found in him. And uh, I've never heard anyone say, I I grew significantly in intimacy and maturity with God in times of comfort and happiness. Usually it's during times of discomfort and hardship. And then here's the next two points. This is where we'll end. We have a satisfying Savior. So we have a developing faith. We have a satisfying Savior. I gave you a whole slew of verses there. These are some of my favorites. But the more satisfied you are in your Savior, the more the good days will be leavable and the bad days will be durable. And then the next one is that we have a sure salvation. That's what he said in verse 9. So he has set us free from the penalty of sin. That's justification. That's Romans 5.1. I put there on your cross-reference uh, cross notes. He is setting us free from the power of sin, sanctification. That's Philippians 1.6. And one of these days he will set us free from the very presence of sin. That's glorification. So you're going to come back next week because we're going to talk about true Christianity. But let me show you a video here. And uh, it's a testimony of William and uh, Danica who are brother and sister that face a heartbreaking loss in their family. And as I said, you know how you can have two people in identical circumstances? They're both raised in a Christian home. But uh, William is bitter. He's suicidal. And uh, Danica is, is better. And because she's anchored in the gospel, then she's able to come alongside and help William. And William goes from dev- devastation to deliverance. Watch this. William and I grew up with parents who were very dedicated to the Lord, raised us in the fear of the Lord, taught us about who Christ was. You know, Christian high school, Christian college, going to church, mentally agreeing to the idea of God, all those things led me to believe that I was a Christian. I saw him pursuing a lifestyle that was different from what I knew to be true to what the Lord had called us to be. 
My life was already a mess before the night of June 21st when my 15-year-old little brother, Evan, was killed suddenly in a four-wheel accident. And I had no idea how to cope with that. The only answer I really found was to keep myself from being sober. I would go sit at his grave by myself and I would drink and cry and drive home drunk and I'd do it the next day. But then I came in to visit my sister uh, where she was living at the time one weekend. And over that weekend, due to typical um, sinful acts in my life at that time, just being a mean, loud, angry, abusive jerk. Uh, my relationship at that time, the girl finally ended it and it pushed me over the edge. Sunday morning rolled around after a couple of days of this and my sister brought me to church where she was attending at the time. And as I was sitting there in service, as they were singing these songs again about heaven, it just, it made me so angry. I had been struggling with suicidal thoughts at the time. I just got up and walked out of the church thinking, this is so pointless. I didn't really think of anything of it. I knew he wasn't feeling well. I knew he was kind of hungover. I figured he must just need to get some air. I walked over to a gas station a few blocks away. Um, if they had sold alcohol on Sunday, I would have bought it. They didn't. I bought a pack of cigarettes, walked up the street a little bit further, and sat down on this bench. And I had finally collapsed inside of myself, just to the point where that little circle of light that was any hope in my life was gone. And I just, I, in that moment, as I was still drunk, I had been drinking even that morning, I just missed my brother so much and I wanted to see him. And because I thought of myself as a Christian, I thought if I take my life, I think I know where I'm going and I just want to see my brother. And as I watched the traffic pass in front of me, um, I thought I'll smoke a few of these cigarettes and I can get up and walk out in front of a bus and this will just all be over for me. So I got in my car and drove to get him and I picked him up and he was crying and upset and talking about how he just felt like this life was pointless and there was no answer and no solution and no good left and at that moment I didn't know what else to say except will you come talk to my pastor. I just didn't care. I really didn't care. And so when she said, do you want to come talk to this pastor? I just was like, whatever. I don't care. Sure. So I drove William back to the church and I parked in the lot. And in pops this large, almost caricature of a man um, in a suit and suspenders. And I had enough cognitive awareness to know that this was a Southern Baptist church and having a grown up PCA, uh, didn't think a whole lot of Southern Baptists. And so as he sat down, probably even in my drunken stupor, I think I assumed I was smarter than he was. He said, I'm gonna read this and I want you to let me know if this is in your life. Um, where Paul says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and he just lists them off there. At each point, I just said, check, check, check. And then he went to the fruits of the Spirit, and they were nowhere to be found. And at the end of it, as he read, you know, Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the first time in my life, I thought, maybe I'm not going to heaven. Maybe I'm not a Christian. By God's grace, through reading the book of Isaiah, uh, it first opened to chapter 59, 1, which says, For surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ears too dull to hear, but your iniquities have hidden you from your God. As I read that, I felt, man, I am covered in my sins. And I realized that I, William Wolf, needs 
Jesus Christ to clothe me in his righteousness. And so I got on my knees and I asked for forgiveness and I recognized that I needed a savior by God's grace. William called me that Tuesday and shared with me what he was reading about in Isaiah and what he was learning. And at that moment, I felt some of the fear that I had for my brother's life disappear. It was such a joyful time for me. The title of the sermon, I believe the day that he came the first time, was From Devastation to Deliverance. And I think that beautifully sums up how the Lord worked in my brother's life. My name is William. I'm a Christian because somebody brought the gospel to me. Be unashamed. That's a great testimony, isn't it? Praise God. Praise God. You, you need a savior. You are desperate for a savior, whether you realize it or not. You need Jesus. Come to Jesus. Run into his arms and you will find mercy and grace. It's amazing. Stand with me for closing prayer. Next week, True Christianity. We're going to just focus in on that one verse. It's a sweet verse. Let's pray. God, we are overwhelmed with your presence here. And we pray that these truths that we've studied will not just bounce around in our head, but will go deep into our heart and resource us for the suffering and sorrow that awaits us so that we can put you on display Help us to see more and more that we are born again to a living hope with a permanent inheritance and that we have your divine protection. And God, I pray that these circumstances, these negative things that happen to us would develop our faith, increase our intimacy with you and our maturity as we walk with you. And God, as we find you as our satisfying Savior, may we embrace this sur the sure salvation you have provided for us for your glory, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.